plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Well, hello, Power Partners. We are going to get this party started. Welcome to our informational playground. It's Star Style. Be the star you are. We're coming to the airwaves under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity. And we're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. This is the Empowerment Channel. I'm your host, Cynthia Bryan. I always try to seed and stimulate, support some space for some positive, meaningful conversations and maybe even some arguments. But the good thing is that you start talking. You want to communicate and collaborate, and that will help you to innovate. The miracle moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity. We'll be having the a Family Fun Day at the Moraga Fair coming up which is sponsored by Green Air. Visit gogreenair.net. I think uh, it is time to go green. And Be The Star You Are, you can find out more information about Green Air as well as Be The Star You Are at bethestarur.org forward slash events. And this is a, a quote that's from one of my favorite artists, Claude Monet. The richness I achieve comes from nature, the source of my inspiration. Well, it is uh, Passover is starting today and Easter is just around the corner. So what do they have in common? We're going to talk a little bit about that connection between Passover and Easter. I mean, the Last Supper was a Passover Seder. Both holidays are about the dead rising to new life. And, of course, this week uh, is marking Passover Holy Week, culminating on Easter Sunday. So we're going to refresh our history lesson about these commemorations. In segment two, it's more about elder abuse and elder fraud because it has become really rampant. And if you have aging relatives, it's important to watch for signs that something could be amiss. So we're going to help you educate your parents about scams, financial issues, and also caregivers. Lawmakers are taking action to fight suspicious activities, but it's good if you are on the front lines as well, keeping your parents and other loved ones safe. And finally, again, we have a garden episode because it is printemps. Printemps est arrivé. Spring is here. (laughs) A cavalcade of color has erupted in the garden. And however mediocre, imperfect, untamed, unreally, a garden is a personal masterpiece. It's a slice of heaven. It's created by the person who wields the spade. So as an Easter gift and a Passover gift to you, I want to give you a gardening guide for April. So sit back and relax and get informed and hopefully you will enjoy this show. So what is Passover and what is Easter? Well, Passover is the Jewish celebration of God's liberating the Israelites from uh, from Egyptian slavery that happened in 
1513 BC. Gosh, that sounds like a long time ago. I guess it was. The word Passover actually refers to the time when God spared the Israelites from that calamity that killed every firstborn in Egypt. If you want to know exactly what happened, you'll have to go to Exodus 12:27 or 13:15 and you can read about it. Now, Easter is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus from the tomb on the third day after his crucifixion. And it doesn't matter what you believe, but this is what a major part of the world believes are in these two religions. So we're going to be talking about those. Now, Passover is often celebrated with such pomp and ceremony, especially on the first night, which is tonight, when a a special family meal called the Seder is held. Now at the Seder, foods have a symbolic significance and it commemorates the Hebrews' liberation. So what they're eating is very symbolic. And there's special prayers and there's traditional uh, recitations that uh, different members of the gathering will perform. Now though the festival of Passover is meant to be one of great rejoicing, There are strict dietary laws that must be observed and special prohibitions restrict work at the beginning and the end of the celebration. Now, on Easter Sunday, this will be 40 days after Lent has begun. So Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, and that Lent symbolizes the 40 days in the desert when Jesus was um, meditating And Christians celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead after his crucifixion and his burial. And typically, Sunday Mass uh, is the biggest service of the year. Christmas and Easter are the two big Christian service days at church. So in the Christian belief, according to Scripture... And scripture, you could go to Isaiah 53 if you want to read this. Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah, and he's the savior of the world. So the resurrection refers to Jesus coming back to life or being raised from the dead three days after he was put in the tomb and a big rock was set up against it after he was taken down from the cross. Now, Christians believe that by laying down his life, by being crucified, that he paid the full penalty for all the sins of the world and that it was the perfect spotless sacrifice. So subsequently, by raising from the dead, Jesus has defeated the power of sin and death for all who believe in him. And then they have eternal life in Christ Jesus. So that's kind of the takeaway from the kind of the connection Passover and Easter. Now, the biblical account of Jesus's death on the cross or the crucifixion, his burial and his resurrection, which is the raising from the dead, um, you can find it in several passages of the Bible. Uh, You can find it in the New Testament, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, which they wrote different things. And they all have a similar kind of writing that they did. But the word Easter doesn't appear in the Bible, and no early church celebrations of this resurrection are mentioned in Scripture. So Easter, like Christmas, is a tradition that developed later in the church history. 
And as the most solemn and preeminent celebration of Jesus Christ's resurrection, it's really unfortunate that many of the Easter customs today are so secular. You know, we have the Easter bunny and all the Easter eggs and, you know, all of the that kind of, all the cards. And they're actually mixed with some pagan associations. And for this reason, many Christian churches choose to refer to the Easter holiday. Instead of Easter, they call it Resurrection Day. So Lent is that 40-day period of fasting, repentance, moderation, spiritual discipline in preparation for Easter. I just met somebody at the conference last week, and I offered her a glass of wine. She said, no, I've given up wine for Lent. A lot of people give up chocolate, or they give, they give up something special you know, that they want. It's supposed to be a sacrifice. So in Western Christianity, it's Ash Wednesday. That marks the start of Lent and the start of the Easter season. So Easter Sunday marks the end of Lent and the Easter season, and that's when people kind of eat whatever it is that they want to eat, and and um, and they start celebrating again. Now, in the Eastern Orthodox churches, they observe Lent or Great Lent during the six weeks or 40 days that precede Palm Sunday with fasting and continuing through the Holy Week of Easter, because there's, uh, there is Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and then there's Easter Sunday. And then a lot of people actually have what's called Easter Monday, too, which is the day after Easter as another celebration. Now, the week preceding Easter being called Holy Week, it began with Palm Sunday, and that is the celebration of Jesus Christ, who was a Jew, who rode into Jerusalem, supposedly on the back of a donkey, with everybody uh, fanning him with palms and bowing, etc., all of that. So Holy Thursday, or Monday Thursday, is the commemoration of the Last Supper, which was a Seder, when Jesus shared a Passover meal with his disciples on the night before he was crucified. And that's where, uh, if you're reading any of, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and you'll hear the story of Judas and how he was betrayed. And of course, you know, there's all kinds of speculation if Judas really was a Judas, if he really did betray him, or if this was all part of the plan, you know, we don't really know. But the death by crucifixion is commemorated on Good Friday. And in the Christian faith, they commemorate it between the hours of noon and 3 p.m. And lots and lots of stores are closed. A lot of schools end right before noon because it's a very solemn time. And, um, and then afterwards, it actually, for Catholics, for example, you're not supposed to eat meat on Good Friday or any of the Fridays during Lent. There's a, and these all are things that happened later. I mean, they weren't in the beginning. Now, how did they... Uh, how did Western Christianity determine the date of Easter? It can fall anywhere between March 22nd and April 25th. And it's always celebrated on the Sunday immediately following the Paschal full moon. And since the early days of church history, determining the precise date of Easter has been a real matter for continued argument. And there's so many misunderstandings about how the date of Easter is calculated so at the heart of the matter lies a simple explanation. 
Easter is really a movable feast. So the earliest believers in the church at Asia Minor, they wanted to keep Easter celebrations in line with the Jewish Passover since the death and resurrection of Jesus happened right after the Passover. So again, it was the Seder was on what what Christians celebrate on uh, Holy Thursday, and that's when Jesus had a Passover Seder, and then he was killed the following day on Friday. So followers wanted Easter always to be celebrated right after the Passover. And since the Jewish holiday calendar is based on solar and lunar cycles, each feast day is movable with dates shifting from year to year. Now, eventually, Western churches decided to establish a more standardized system for determining the date of Easter using a table of ecclesiastical full moon dates. And for that reason, Eastern Orthodox churches celebrate Easter on a different day than Western churches. So what is the actual connection between Passover and Easter? Well, God told the Hebrews to commemorate Passover as a festival to the Lord. According to the Gospels, again, this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus died during the Passover. At Passover, the Hebrews were told to kill a lamb in order to be saved. And throughout the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So perhaps the Lamb in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of the death of Christ as a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. So whatever it is that uh, you believe, there's so much interest, I think, and so much um, fascination in the connection between Passover and the Easter celebration. So whatever you celebrate, or maybe you don't celebrate at all, but have a special week. This is what we call a holy week with Passover and the Christian holy week of Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday. And attempt not to make it too commercial, although I will say it's awfully fun to color eggs and to hide them and to have little kids run through the bushes and find the Easter eggs. And when I was a little girl, I could swear that I saw the Easter bunny that came hopping along my house and hiding eggs. So, but it's all part, it's all part of the celebration. So happy Passover, happy Easter, and just enjoy this week and use it as a time for contemplation for yourself and also fulfillment of prophecies that you would like to see happen. So go back and reminisce and look over what you have accomplished since Christmas um, or since the new year and use this as a, a reflective time that can really help you be the star you are, and then you can move on from there. Well, when we come back from break, we are going to talk about protecting our parents and how to prevent them from scams and other financial disasters. I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We're coming to you on the Voice America Network. This is the Empowerment Channel. Don't go away. Visit our website, CynthiaBryan.com. 
during the break. The radio host of Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and producer of Express Yourself, Cynthia Bryan, is a New York Times best-selling author of several books. Buy personalized, empowering, and inspiring first edition copies for you and your company today. Transform your life. Live your passions. Discover your best self. Visit CynthiaBryan.com forward slash books. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. Bethestarur.org. Dare to care. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. And we're back. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. And we are still bringing you lots of great information. And this time, we want to do something that is going to be protective and preventative for any aging parents. I mean, all of us are aging every day. Every single day, we're getting another 24 hours older. So the next time you visit your parents or another aging relative or family friend, it's really imperative that you watch out for signs that something could be amiss, such as a decline in his or her standard of living, you know, stacks of gift cards, unfamiliar pieces of mail, or Something it could be unusually secretive or a giddy demeanor. And if you're involved with their day-to-day finances, look for missing check numbers or uncharacteristic bank activity that deviates from normal patterns. Now, I'm telling you this because one of my best girlfriends, her father is um, in his 80s. And when her mother died, he just kind of went a little bit goofy. And he got a caregiver who immediately started scamming him and got access to his credit cards, was taking, uh, writing checks, uh, pretending, you know, that she was like his girlfriend. And he, all of these things that I'm just telling you now, you know, he was like acting like he was a little schoolboy uh, until they stepped in to do some protection. So, so we need to educate our parents about elder fraud by keeping abreast of what the common scams are and dropping the topic into casual conversation. I mean, we don't we don't want to accuse them of anything or just bring it up abruptly because they're going to deny it. And th- that it can become rather serious. So, if, for example, you can mention an article that you read about scams targeting older adults and ask your parents what they would do in a similar situation. You could tell them to listen to this radio broadcast and see if 
um, if any of the things that I'm talking about make sense to them. But we got to be sensitive because we don't want to instill any unnecessary fear or make our parents feel like they're losing control. But education only can go so far, right? So we have to um, perhaps have an online monitoring service that would be designed for the elderly because the nature of mild cognitive impairment is that a victim can believe something is a scam one week and then the next week they completely forget about it and they don't, you know, it can happen to them. So you'll need to take some steps to minimize any of these openings for those opportunistic, terrible people out there that want to hurt our family members or our elders because you know that they just don't know any better. Now, how can you thwart nefarious callers? You know, those phone calls that we all get. So, of course, you can start by registering your parents or any other people that you're taking care of, their phone number on the National Do Not Call Registry. That website is donotcall.gov. You can also install a call screening and blocking devices on their landline to deflect any unwanted callers. Or, um, you know, there's all those robocalls now. So there are some robocall blocking apps out there. Uh, some of them, you know, cost like a dollar or dollar ninety nine a month. Um, but if you're on one of those VOIP landlines, it could be free. And sometimes your phone company might offer it for free. You could set up a voicemail service to ease their concerns about legitimate calls uh, that are being ignored, and explain that even if the phone number looks familiar and pops up on caller ID that it can be faked or spoofed. And I talked about this in an earlier radio show, how I do not answer my phone anymore. I let everything go to voicemail. And I also on my uh, phone have put the message, if you don't leave a message, I can't call you back. And if they don't leave a message, I actually block their number on my, um, if I, if it's my cell phone and on my landline, I just, you know, it's, it was just deleted because if they don't leave a message, it, there's nothing there, but it goes to my answering machine. And it's just amazing how many robocalls I'm getting, uh, political calls, calls in Chinese and other languages that I don't understand. And it, they're all scams. They're all scams. I don't have time for that. So impress upon older adults that any unsolicited caller who is aggressive or who initiates a request for their credit card numbers, their social security number, their Medicare number, or any personal information at all, like your birth date, um, they are scamming you. They're up to no good. Hang up right, right away. The number one method that scammers use to get money is to convince the people they're talking to to buy a prepaid gift card. And um, the prepaid gift card, um, what they do with those is they will read them. They'll say, just read me the number. Just read the number on the back of the card. So um, the suggestion is to post a, a refusal script 
by the phone, you know, so you could write a script for the person with some kind of polite language that your loved one can use if they're not the kind that are just going to hang up on a strange call, I mean, or not answer it at all. I know so many people, you know, they, we, we, we don't want to be rude. I mean, I agree with that. I never want to be rude, but at the same time, um, most of these calls are people that are just trying to, to scam you and to do something harmful to you that could take years and thousands of dollars to rectify. So be rude, be rude. So like if you wanted to write a script, something polite, it could be, thank you for calling, but I don't do business over the phone and then just hang up. So also, um, if your family or your parents are on social media or they're on the internet, you should really try to follow them to make sure that they are not trying to, um, to meet with anybody or that somebody is not following them and constantly, you know, complimenting them and saying, let's get together. Cause that could be a really bad thing. Now finances, this is a huge, huge problem. You got to lock down their finances. Ask your parents, banks, and brokerages, especially if your parents are having some kind of cognitive decline, about features that can help you stay engaged with their accounts because these benefits are not often advertised. So what what a bank might be able to do is to grant you like a read-only access. In other words, you can't cash their checks. You can't get their money out. So you can't scam your parents. But they they set up like this um, convenience account where it's like a joint account, but you don't have access to the money, but you can see it. So that way, if anybody's writing checks, you'll know. This girlfriend that I was telling you about uh, ended up just writing checks for over $25,000 to this caregiver, little bits at a time. And she always would have an excuse. And when the when the kids would ask the dad, what are you doing? Oh, her mother was sick or her kid needs an operate. I mean, it was all lies, but he fell for it. And I mean, I don't know how many times somebody can tell you that their parent died, but when you have an impairment, you don't remember that they already died five times. So oh, we have to protect our, we have to protect our elders. Now, brokerage firms might be able to designate you as an interested party on a parent's account, meaning that you'll get statements and then you'll be able to log in and to monitor their investments. But again, you won't be able to make transactions. And um, a lot of, well, I think the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority now requires broker dealers to request a trusted contact who will be notified when there are suspicious behavior or when clients open new accounts or update existing ones. And that comes to the same thing of, you know, the three credit monitoring bureaus, Experian, Equifax, and, and um, TransUnion. You can lock your accounts uh, and you can lock their accounts so that nobody can open accounts in their name and then, you know, use those accounts or ruin their credit or you or ruin their name. So you do want to monitor for unusual transactions and handle cases of any potential financial abuse. And you should try to help your parents review their credit reports. And if the if 
all else, you know, freeze, freeze the credit. You, you can freeze it. The other thing is you have to guard against unscrupulous financial advisors. And that's really awful to think that professionals do this. But there are all kinds of professionals out there that are looking to exploit the elders. So um, you want to find, even if you are, if it's a big name firm, you still have to be very, very cautious. So look for certified financial planners who are fee only, meaning that their compensation comes entirely from their clients rather than um, than fee based, meaning they get commissions from other sources. So you want to study an advisor's business card or website for the fine print, which should disclose if they're affiliated with broker dealers. And um, certified financial planners are now required to act as uh, fiduciaries at all times when giving financial advice to clients. So the other way that uh, financial advisors work is they take a percentage of your portfolio. And that can be, um, you know, you don't want them to get you into um, to assets that are going to deplete deplete your portfolio. So you want to um, really be careful about it. You want the compensation to um, to be for everybody's benefit. Obviously, they can get compensated, but there's a lot of um, there's a lot of financial institutions out there that don't charge any upfront fees. So you might want to look at a Charles Schwab or a Fidelity or something like that. And besides making sure their wills and revocable living trusts are up to date. Older adults also need to prepare a durable financial power of attorney with a lawyer who specializes in elder law. You can find those at um, the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, and that there's a website for it that is N as in Nancy, A as in Apple, E as in Elephant, L as in Laura, A as in Apple.org. And um, that can really help you. Or you can go through your state bar if they certify elder law specialties. That power of attorney, what it means is an agent can make financial decisions on their behalf, and a lawyer can help an older adult appoint a trustworthy agent, especially if he or she doesn't feel that any close relatives fit the bill. And you know, sometimes there might not be any um, close relatives. And uh, if you're managing a parent's finances and it becomes really hard, consider hiring um, somebody on the outside. There are money managers, and these professionals work remotely or in person to help adults of any age pay bills and organize tax documents and bank records and negotiate with creditors and all of that. And some money managers charge by the hour and meet with clients anywhere from once a week to once or twice a month. So you want to find a manager in your area or, again, ask a trusted financial advisor for a referral but there is a website if you'd like to check it out, and that is aadmm.com. Apple, Apple, dog, Mary, Mary.com. So online tools can also help older adults keep on top of their finances because what a smart scammer does is they sm they'll steal small amounts across different institutions over time. You know, so they might... Um, 
they might take a dollar here and two dollars there. And then if nothing happens, if nobody says anything, then they start taking big money. And uh, maybe it's best to set up automatic bill payments for your parents' bills, but then you still have to make sure that they're not overpaying. And then just getting to caregivers, make sure that any caregivers you hire through an agency are licensed, bonded, and insured, and that they've undergone a background check. And you could ask your homeowner's insurance policy, your insurance agent, whether your liability coverage extends to a contracted employee in the home. And before a caregiver visits, lock up all sensitive financial documents like bank statements, checkbooks, or any um, personal documents, maybe you have to shred them, but don't leave them in the trash. And secure computers and smartphones with passwords. Don't just leave them open and you know logged in. And then store valuables in a safe or safety deposit box. The other thing that the second uh, caregiver that came in to my girlfriend's dad's life, she stole all the mother's jewelry. The mom had died. And this jewelry was supposed to go to the kids, and she took it all. And, um, of course, the dad never noticed it. She just took it little by little until it was all gone. So the caregiver, uh, well, you know, in that case, well, might get fired or something, but it, there's not a lot you can do about it. Do report it, though. It's very important that if you have somebody, if you're suspecting anything that might be of concern, even with an elderly neighbor, a friend or a relative, you know, be bold, share it with a family member right away. Otherwise, it might be too late to prevent the damage. And you may just need to call the police. And um, if you need some more information with an agency that can help you, uh, you could go to napsa.org, uh, N-A-P-S-A. And there's a, a, a line there that says, uh, get help. So the National Center on Elder Abuse, that can also help you. That's N as in Nancy, C as in cat, E as in elephant, A as in apple, dot gov. Now, the feds and the states have stepped in. They're making regulations that are supposed to keep the financial services industry, industry into taking action to fight elder abuse. And um, it's supposed to be letting broker dealers put temporary holds on certain things. But the reality is these are your parents, your family members. Um, these are scams that are targeting them. And if you love them, take the first step to protect them. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do our business bite. And then we're going to go into springtime. So stay with me and visit the website, bethestarur.org, during the break. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. If you're finding it hard to get going and stay going, how about making a wager with a coworker? Decide a goal that you both want to reach. Maybe it's to be the top salesperson of the month or to find the time to exercise three times a week. Make your rewards something that you'll look forward to receiving. Make a timeline or a deadline, if you call it that, for your achievement and a tangible compensation. 
Perhaps you've waged a dinner at an exclusive restaurant or a cruise on the lake or a round of golf. You'll be motivated to reach your goal when you know there's an award at the finish line that you will really enjoy. So create an incentive to motivate yourself and others to be the best they can be. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com. Cynthia Bryan, Bryan with an I, dot com. The radio host of Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and producer of Express Yourself, Cynthia Bryan, is a New York Times bestselling author of several books. Buy personalized, empowering, and inspiring first edition copies for you and your company today. Transform your life. Live your passions. Discover your best self. Visit CynthiaBryan.com forward slash books. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. org. Dare to care. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business Well, it's Cynthia Bryan. I'm back with you again. And we're going into my favorite place, the garden. And I have talked to you. I gave you a quote already by my favorite painter, Claude Monet, who was an impressionist painter and a lifelong gardener. And if you haven't been to Giverny, it is a place that you'll definitely want to visit. But another one of his uh, quotes, and it's one I love, is, my garden is my most beautiful masterpiece. And I love it because the garden is constantly evolving. When I was young, uh, and when I was still, you know, I considered myself a farmer as opposed to a gardener. Um, I visited and I viewed that magnificent oil, the artist's garden in Giverny, that was painted in 1900 by Claude Monet. It's now hanging in Paris, and I, I believe in the Musée d'Orsay. Uh, when I saw this, it was just love at first sight, partly because of the purple bearded iris reminded me of my own fields of scented dreams on our farm, but also because as an apprentice artist, I just ached to try my hand at dabbling in dots of light and color. Now, at the time that I actually saw this magnificent oil painting, I was a student living in Holland. And if you have ever seen April in Lise in um, Nederland in the Netherlands, it is breathtaking at the Kuchenhof. It's a sea of tulips in absolutely every color, shape, and they announce, you know, the first breath of spring. 
wrapped in winter wear, braving the frigid air, I really attempted to capture the splendor on canvas. And what I mean by that is I got out my old, my own oil paints and my paintbrush, and I started dabbing away. But it wasn't until I arrived in Normandy that the artist in me was reborn instead of just as a farmer, now as a gardener, because it was Monet's garden. Monet's garden absolutely mesmerized me. There were chickens and rabbits and a lush, harmonized estate of thousands of plantings. Lovingly sewed, I strolled in wonder through this living painting. I was stopping to inhale the fragrance and to photograph the brilliance. And I always vowed that when I designed my first garden, it would be a tribute to both the visions of Giverny, uh, which is in France, and to the Kuchenhof uh, sensibilities, which is in the Netherlands. And that is exactly what I did. So the acres of poison oak and blackberry bushes and wild grasses were really daunting when I first bought the land here where I now live. And my quest for an impressionistic garden were almost thwarted by the unproductive and the horrible and the very hard clay soil and the myriad of thistles and weeds and brush. It all needed to be cleared before I could begin the propagation. And so while I was reading a biography of Monet, I noted that he had hauled countless railway wagon loads of topsoil to his Giverny garden. And I thought to myself, aha, that's the secret. Well, I have clay soil here. It is horrible. There's no mulch. There's no compost. So I ordered truckloads of loam and compost, and I put it into the ground. And I continue to compost my own compost piles today and add mulch and recycle. And so I haven't had to buy it anymore, but it really has made a huge difference. So with copious amounts of aid from both my Dutch and French inspirations, my horticultural passion what well, took about two years um, before my painter's palette beds yield armloads of flowers in tones that I love, which were and are amethyst and rose and sapphire and indigo and vanilla, you know, and pale butter yellows. And how delighted I was to witness my hillsides carpeted in colors that were so carefully chosen for beauty and for balance and for bounty. Then, one winter, Mother Nature intervened, like she does so often, and like we're seeing these days as well, with a reminder that our climate zones differ, and that climate change is happening, and she cloaked our area with two weeks of below freezing weather. It was in, it was around 16, 17 degrees for two weeks straight. By the time the earth thawed, my carefully designed dream garden had literally drowned, died, and decomposed. The Dutch, bul the Dutch bulbs uh, survived the cold. They became the foundation of a masterpiece makeover. But I was really heartbroken, yet I was still very determined. And I was... Um, I, I decided that the landscape now, instead of it going to be so organized, it was going to be a little more wild, tousled, 
and I was going to allow more of a rainbow of colors and textures and plant specimens to frame the fields. And the reason for that is many of the plants that died, especially like my gazanias, I had these beautiful trailing uh, purple gazanias. You know, they were just like this rose color, rose purple. So they were so, so pretty. And they all died in this freeze. And then springtime came and I saw gazanias coming up. But when they bloomed, they went back to what an original gazania color is. And that was orange or yellow. And you've seen them, I'm sure. And I didn't want orange and yellow. So it was one of those things I had to get used to. But coming forward to today, my garden just, it has a lot of mementos from my travels. And, um, and from a lot of the spectacular gardens that I visited around the world and different places that I've spoken. However, my earliest affections for Gaul and the lowlands trump the others at this time of renewal in spring because Kuchenhof tulips and daffodils and every hue spring to life this season. And I did get um, tulips and daffodils from Holland. And then Monet's irises, they wave in the wind and they have this really heady perfume that I just love. And uh, this year, the creek isn't really running, but the frogs are croaking, which is nice. And I love having kind of this meditation meadow so I can listen to my water features. And I have to have a fountain going now because some years, if we have a really wet winter, I actually have waterfalls in the creek and a rushing river. But I do love listening to the chirping of the nestling songbirds right now and the croaking toads doing their mating dance. Oh, my gosh. They are amazing. I can hear my neighbor's frogs at nighttime and they start as soon as it gets dark. And if you listen carefully, you, they all have a rhythm and then they'll stop for like 30 seconds. All of them at one time will stop. It'll be totally quiet. And then they'll start again. And there's, it's just a cacophony of sound, or maybe it's more like an orchestra. So Monet planted to paint. I plant to pray <laughs> because in these stressful days, my garden decompresses me and it, it just, I just, it takes away any stress. So gardening is the universal language of love. And I luxuriate freely in this cultivation here and it doesn't matter how mediocre or how imperfect or how untamed or how unruly this is my personal masterpiece it's my slice of heaven and so I join Monet in saying what I need most of all in life is flowers flowers always flowers <laughs> so um, this is this is where I am right now in my garden because it's a kaleidoscope of colors and fragrance in April. And I have my very rich compost to thank for that. So make sure that um, you make your own compost. It really does help and it's free and you can just keep it under the sink or you can put it in a compost pile if you want to do that. But you will have a very happy happy plants. Now there's some perennial favorites that I think that you may enjoy in your garden. So I'm going to just uh, read off some of my favorites 
And all of these are blooming right now. So it's you really can have a beautiful garden with so many different things. So daffodils, tulips, crocus, freesia, hyacinth, muscari. Muscari are those little grape. They look like teeny tiny grapes. They're just so pretty. Dutch iris, bearded iris, daphne, ranunculus, anemones, agapanthus, clivia, kangaroo paw. Camellia. Oh, I'm going to do a garden article on camellias because they are just flourishing at the moment. Azaleas and rhododendrons are just coming into bloom. I know in the Northwest, they're already in bloom. Um, Astilbe. Saucer magnolias are spectacular at the moment. Uh, Calendula, lavender, delphinium, campionula, aster, lamium, hosta, ferns, dianthus, the roses aren't blooming yet, but they're leafing out. Um, they should probably be blooming in a couple of weeks, I would think. The echinacea, columbine are doing really great. Digitalis is coming up. A lot of the ground covers and shasta daisy. So some of these would be really good to add to your garden. And they're coming in all kinds of colors. So it's kind of whatever it is that you want. Now, another uh, quote by Claude Monet, because remember, he was a painter who gardened and a gardener who painted, um, but he got all his inspiration from the garden. But one of the things that he said is the richness, richness I achieve from nature is the source of my inspiration. So as the saying goes, April showers bring May flowers. I don't know if we're going to have April showers, but it is time to tiptoe through the tulips, um, even if you have to put on galoshes, <laughs> but um, celebrate the sensory spring because the crocus are, and the daffodils and the muscari and the helleborus and the hyacinths and the tulips and the freesias, they are all such beautiful gems. They really are jewels and they carpet our woodlands and our hillsides and become like our personal havens. So the secret to beautiful gardens is a gardener who is enthusiastic about going out into the garden and whether it's rain or shine, is getting in there and digging deeply. So I always encourage uh, people to take photos of their garden. And I think that it's such a good idea to do because our gardens evolve and change all the time. And this is something that we um, we look forward to because... You know, one year you're going to have a lot of fruit. The next year you may not have any. But if you can chronicle it, maybe even keep a journal, I think it'll help you a lot. So this is a good time to clean out any perennial beds and prepare the soil for replanting. You, um, If you have organic compost, you can put this like as a mulch around plants. Now, Wood barks are great for top cover, but they rob nitrogen from the soil as they decay. And you got to be careful with wood bark because if you're in a fire zone, wood bark is flammable. In fact, in our area, the fire chief is attempting to put into place a new code that would, um, uh, would say that you cannot have any bark or any flammable material within two feet of your house. So that means you can put gravel or rock, but no bushes. Uh, you can put grass, but everything has to be uh, a way two feet. And if you do have a plant, it can't be higher than two feet. So I'm really going to start advocating this because we are in fire territory. 
Now, if the soil is warm enough in your area, it's good to start your seeds outside. Now, if not, you can start crops indoors near a south-facing window, or you can use a fluorescent light for 12 or more hours a day. Make sure that you welcome the migrating birds home with fresh water in the fountain, and you put seed in their feeders. That will help them a lot. Uh, if you want to promote flowering, you can prune the wisteria and other woody specimens before they leaf out. Edibles are great planted among your ornamentals. So you could plant lettuce and parsley and dill and basil. And they look really, really pretty uh, alongside other flowers. And then you can just go and pick them to use in your cuisine. If you want to be creative, grow your own personal bouquets. So you can create a real stunning arrangement with um, calla lilies that are blooming right now, sprigs of flowering herbs, like even rosemary. It has a beautiful blue floret. I just picked some this morning. I put um, rosemary with some late blooming daffodils and some tulips and um, iris. Dutch iris, and it really it looks really per pretty. Float camellias for an attractive conversation piece. It makes a nice centerpiece at a dinner party because you can talk over it. And um, if there's camellia blossoms that have fallen to the ground, make sure to pick them up because otherwise it could, um, could just zap your plants and it brings bacteria. Now, for more uh, spring landscaping tips, pick up a copy of my book, Growing with the Goddess Gardener at cynthiabryan.com forward slash online hyphen store. And you can get a, a lot of gardening information at my website, cynthiabryan.com. Well, our show is over for today. So thank you so much for being great listeners and allowing me into your life every Wednesday, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific. For more information about Star Style Productions, go to cynthiabryan.com. Dot com. That's CynthiaBryan.com, Brian with an I. For more information about Be The Star You Are, visit BeTheStarYouAre.org, BeTheStarYouAre.org, and consider making a donation. Until next week when we celebrate once again, remember love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles keep us happy. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I want to wish you a very happy Passover or a happy Holy Week or a happy Easter, whatever it is that you celebrate. This has been Star Style. I encourage you to be the star you are. Be your unapologetically authentic self. Make it a great week of dreaming, creating, inspiring, and making a difference. Communicate, collaborate, innovate. Happy Passover and happy Easter, and most of all, happy spring. Thanks for joining me. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. 
For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.